Now, the word spirit is interesting. It means the breath or the life force, the prana, or it's the whatever. The different, the different cultures call it different things. The, the English word spirit from Latin root. And we have words like inspiration. Uh, we have words like aspiration. When we talk about someone with a spirit, it always implies that there's a kind of radiant rising up in them. They have, they have a spirit. When you lose your spirit, you're, 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 there's something dead about you, isn't it? When somebody loses their spirit, and just say in common parlance, say spiritless, something spiritless means it's just a kind of dead form. When you put spirits into the form, you breathe life, you... You, you fill things up with, with energy. And if you're just trying to suppress sexual desires and, and anger and, and all that, then you lose your spirit. Your spirit's lost. You become a, a, a pillar of salt or a kind of dead thing, something that just you kind of is around but has, doesn't, isn't, and it isn't any good for anything. With a monastic techniques, a lot of these uh, Vipassana techniques, really, I see a lot of it is quite misleading because it doesn't develop your spirit. It's, you, just, you just develop techniques of, uh, to concentrate, which tends to be based on suppression or repression. The danger with the Western mind, isn't it? It takes things out of their context. Vipassana, Zen, become kind of extracted out of out of a whole context of devotion and tradition. And so you, you get the Vipassanini, the, the Zenists, the, these people, Western people usually, that, that don't want to be bothered developing the heart and the dana, the, the sila, the, and, and uh, the, the holy life. But just take... Uh, Techniques out of religious traditions for personal uh, uh, development, development as a personality for therapy. But in the holy life, I mean, the holy life is always a, a sacrifice, sense of making sacred of, of these very coarse uh, energies. Sexual energy, coarse, isn't it? But the alchemist takes the coarse, the growth, and refines it into pure gold. It's an alchemical processing. They write meditation. It's not through rejecting the coarse and trying to to uh, live in a in a world of ideas of gold. It's not trying to to create an idea of gold and attaching to an idea, but of transmuting those coarse and gross energies to that aspiration, religious aspiration, the spirit that flows through this form. Then there's a radiant being, radiant spirit, enlightened, seeing, clear. Not a, a pallid, suppressed, frightened, 
uh, denying creature that hangs around monasteries. Being obedient is another. Just trying to please and be obedient is, is deadening to the spirit. You lose your spirit when you try to be obedient blindly obedient and please people. Uh, and it is, is, uh, you, you, you'll never, you, you're, you're killing yourself. Your spirit dies. Always trying to, to be nice and please everyone. The obedient follow the form, obey all the rules, do everything you're supposed to, and that, but you're dead, and you lose your spirit in that process, because it's done out of fear, it's done out of ignorance, not out of understanding. So just, they, you don't want, a, 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 what good is a sangha? I'm just obedient slaves. I mean, just, just, uh, it is, it, it's a, it's no longer a sangha, isn't it? It's just a, another meaningless and disappointing thing in life. So we look at these tendencies in ourselves. We have to admit them. We have to see our, our, our own fears and our own, uh, habit, way we react and tend to, to deal with situations. Study, examine, investigate. That takes mindfulness, and when there's mindfulness, then there, then the spirit is liberated in that moment. When there's right seeing, right understanding. But if there's just blind attachments, even to the best forms, the most ideal forms, the most beautiful forms, if there's blind attachment, those forms cannot. Uh, are only blinding you. They're not liberating. You're not being liberated through the form because you're just hanging on to the road sign. You're not going anywhere. You'll never arrive in London because you're just, uh, you've attached to the road sign. I really contemplate this in the, this, uh, you know, when we're, when we are Meditating, we're we're aware of energy, isn't it? This this is an energetic form. This whole this body, the breath of the body, the 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 feelings. All this is it's it's in change. It's in continuous change, and it's energy, and it's it's feeling, it's consciousness. This is this is impermanent. Everything is in this state of uh, of continuous change. It's vital. Nothing static. Nothing dead in it at all. The only thing that is dead is our spirit. If we just hang on to this, this, these perceptions or these, this body, and if we just identify this body as, as ourselves, then we, it isn't anything wrong with the body, is it? It's, it's our stupidity that makes, that kills our spirit. The body's not an obstacle. 
or the or the Vedana, Sanya, Sankara, Vinyana. These aren't obstacles. It's the identification. I am this and that. Then you then you create you you absolutize the relative. You you take something and believe it is something more than what it is. So it becomes you 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 kill your spirit. Your spirit can no longer is no longer free. It's blocked, imprisoned in these uh, incarcerated within these forms that that you create. These prisons that that you that you build yourself, build around yourself. Asceticism is a, is a denial of the spirit. So it, that's why the Buddha avoided asceticism. It's a suppressing, trying to to deny and not develop, based on the illusion and fear and denial and rejection. And the other, Gamasukali Kanayoko, is indulgence and just just following uh, the desires for pleasure. Ambition and greed and so forth. Just trying to think that, that doing everything you want to, following every desire, is somehow the way. But Recognize that the middle way, the Majjhima Bhadibhata, is is through is a transcendent path. It's it's a it's a it's aware and knowing of truth, not taking sides. So life for us is like this: body, human bodies are this way, and the instinctual drives are this way, and having eyes and ears, having a nose and a tongue, having a brain. Having a sexual organs, having a body like this is this way. Being conscious is this way. There's an investigation, understanding of this that we find ourselves with. It's the Dhamma, the Buddha seeing the Dhamma. It's not judgmental, not taking sides, not prefer- preferring one thing or another. It's, it's, le- it's seeing the, the wholeness and unity, oneness. Complementariness, cooperativeness of of this of these energies. There's, there's nothing wrong, nothing that needs to be added or subtracted. It's through right understanding, not through through gaining or or uh, annihilating. Is the enlightenment of the Buddha it's through right understanding. It's not through gaining something you don't have or getting rid of something you have, but of understanding the way it is. Monday, the observance, and then the continuation of the peace vigil until Sunday and the that today there's a the, the news whether Iraq's going to pull out of Kuwait or not according to the Mr. Gorbachev's proposal if they don't agree to pull out according to 
United Nations resolutions, then there'll be this uh, kind of land war. So today is a very important day, affecting the lives of many people, or the deaths. Human life isn't less uh, needn't is sometimes not considered very important. Isn't that our own lives are important to us, but uh, the further away, the more remote, then the, the less important they can be. When you're thinking in terms of, of soldiers, for example, or Iraqi soldiers or the enemy, Or we consider people that are well off, uh, looking at the lives of kind of the poor, like all those beggars and uh, poor people in India. They don't seem as important, do they, as, uh, say, middle-class European people in the scheme of the world values. If Mrs. Mrs. Smith Jones is has a headache, or you have a have a little kind of hiccup. It's terribly important. You know. But if uh, some wretched woman in Calcutta, you know, something happens to her, somehow it doesn't seem they don't seem like they're worth as much. The poor of the world. This, this huge mass of, of unscrubbed, unwashed, not very beautiful, not very attractive, not very nice. If you've lived, uh, if you've met people that live in poverty and have been badly treated, they're not even very nice sometimes. They, they complain, they, they have uh, grudges, they blame like living with some of the uh, Ambedkar followers in India, I uh, found them really, them really quite repulsive sometimes because of the, the way they would whine and complain and moan about everything. I think these people really can really be off-putting. The poverty and and uh, lack of opportunity, lack of privilege, oftentimes, is not in human character. It can really be can, can that which develops out of those conditions is quite can be quite unpleasant in itself. But then also the people that are well off and privileged are can be quite repulsive. People that are shallow and superficial and live lives of just uh, taking everything for granted, their position, their possessions. The life is like this, it's just, uh, it is, this being born as a human being is, it's, uh, as an end in itself, it is just uh, totally unsatisfactory. It's irritating. 
frustrating, annoying, the whole thing. Even monastic life is that way. Sometimes I find you so really irritating. Just so bloody irritating. Because <laughs> you just the personalities, the way things are done, or the the kind of way you present yourself, or the assumptions you make or I make, is, uh, on this realm of conditioning, it is uh, it is an irritation. <clears throat> I do appreciate honesty and and. Uh, Bravery and courage, things like this. I don't, I don't, really don't like a kind of, of a just goody goodness or, or just or blind obedience or, or false kind of devotions and sentiments. Because a holy life is a life where trying to develop uh, that arising up and taking on the responsibility for your life and and, uh, developing courage and integrity Mm -hmm. and when uh, monasticism just becomes obedient and and kind of uh, kind of obsequious and slavish and sentimental and becomes institutional and it then it is it it's kind of defeated its whole purpose is has been corrupted by that because I see monasticism only as a vehicle for awakening the conventions the the uh, Discipline, uh, the form, the whole thing is, is, the whole purpose is to awaken the human mind, to reflect, to remind, to rise up. <coughs> Sometimes you find in institutions like this, people finding niches and hanging, hanging on to them. Just, uh, wanting to, to have a, have a place that for oneself. As you find, uh, I imagine uh, so much in both Christian and Buddhist monasticism. There's a lot of it. People just get into it and just stay. A kind of find a little niche to, that they fit into and stay there. And that seems to be rather, you know, it makes it that makes it a kind of dead weight becomes just a a spiritless institution because it's not just a kind of a welfare society or just a place to to hang out or to attach to the whole idea of alms mendicancy is to is to uh, be always in a state of insecurity Reflecting on the 
that, on, the, on just the insecurity, uncertainty, uh, unsurety is, is what I emphasize over and over to really get to know that, the feeling, that mood. Because uh, it's uh, here in Britain, the monastic Buddhist monastics are fairly new, so you you want to it has a has a vitality because of its newness. So you don't want to get a lot of people just kind of freeloading off it, just hanging in for neurotic needs or or just to to uh, because they don't know what else to do. That's why it's uh, really taking this convention and making it work, rather than just riding along in the convention. Like if one is, one can just can get get in a vehicle and just kind of sit there and and not and just kind of go to sleep. It's easy to do in anything like this. Monastic conventions just ride along, just kind of blindly obey and go along with everything, don't be a nuisance, be a good sport, kind of and get by and and uh, but uh, and just kind of go along for the ride. Uh, so that, that's the, the dead weight of institutionalism. Sentimental Buddhism is another is, is is another kind of disgraceful thing, isn't it? Just just trying to to make it into kind of high-mindedness or idealism or just kind of moralism, moralistic, or just this idea of peaceful kind of peacefulness and harmony. All these are traps of the, the in, when you're dealing uh, with with anything like morality or ideas and and uh, religious doctrines, religious teachings, conventions. Uh, they easily become too sentimental, or they become a kind of they take the the spirit out of them. They become kind of uh, refined images, a kind of idolatry on a refined level. And of course, on that, when, when you just uh, holding on to refinements and peacefulness and harmony and and goodness, these these ideas and ideals, and that's what you grasp and and uh, blind yourself with, then then religion is also it is it has no spirit left. It becomes it it becomes dead and kind of maybe. All you can say it is, is it kind of can look pretty. It's like like gold filigree. You you cover everything with with pretty designs. It's just a, a facade of prettiness or niceness. It's, there's nothing inside. There's no spirit to it. That's sometimes what we see in when we. In Church of England, isn't it? We see 
a lot of the kind of jokes and humor and that the satire against the C of E is that it has become the, the kind of effeminate vicar sipping tea with a bunch of old ladies talking about flower arrangements or it's all nice enough but it's effete and weak and and uh, spiritless we feel contempt and it's irritating and one doesn't feel that a religion on that level is any anything to offer it's just a, like a corpse or mummy maybe a mummy this is this is where in religious life it's the, remember the spirit is your spirit your breathing life your it's it's your energy it's the energy that comes from here the form itself is just a form it's a, being a monk or a nun and the rules and the tradition and all this it's just it is it can be just a a kind of carcass if you don't if you don't and if you just kind of blindly obey and go along with it and conform uh, and and just uh, go along for the ride you're you're also just like that you're you're not your spirit will never rise up you'll never be liberated you're just part of the whole kind of deadening uh, convention, conventional world. Spouting pieties and all that is, is dead, isn't it? Why, why do we kind of recoil when people uh, say all the kind of pious things of religion? Because it's, it's uh, even though what they say might be very good, they, they have no spirit to say it. It's not coming from the heart of wisdom. It's coming from, from all kinds of fixed ideas. It's, it's, it's deadening. It's, it's repulsive. When somebody just says, you must be good, and, uh, or watch your mind, or be a good monk, or be a good nun, and it's coming from a dead heart, one just feels uh, rebellious. You don't, you don't like to hear it. It's repulsive to hear. But when somebody that's saying that from the heart, uh, the purity of the heart, and, and there's a spirit behind it, even the most uh, banal kind of statements have a, have have a have some something that uh, touches us. Say be good. Suddenly, is 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 a great inspiring teaching rather than just a a kind of boring, uh, lifeless stay, uh, commandment. Remember in, in Thailand, they say, they would say, do good, receive good; do bad, receive bad. Tam di dai di, tam chua dai chua. And that can be the most kind of banal, meaningless statement. Everybody knows it in Thailand, and it's just it's just a hackneyed phrase. And yet, when you'd hear it, in like when Lung Po Cha would say something like that, it suddenly had 
it had, you think, you think that's very inspiring. Because one, one felt that even the most kind of hackneyed phrases of, of any language and overworked statements of religion, religious teaching, it's not, it's not them in themselves, is it? It's not that. It's, it's the spirit behind it. The spirit that, that, that bring, that puts life into it. And if there's no spirit, then it's just a, another clunky form. Another boring institution. Another hackneyed phrase. And we talk about the heart. And this, this, uh, interesting talking to Ajahn Menindo and the other day, and he showed me this rose crystal in the rose quartz that he was given to him before this retreat in the shape of a heart. And I was given a kind of golden topaz in the shape of a heart. This must be significant for this time. I've never been given hearts before. All these years as a monk, nobody's ever given me a anything heart-shaped. Maybe these are the, these lovely heart-shaped things coming to, to me. It must be a, a message. I can make anything I want out of it, can't I? I can just, it's going to be just a coincidence. Or whatever, but it is, uh, it is, uh, to me, uh, uh, an important sign. Because, uh, I feel right now very much in my own practice and in, uh, Sangha life here in Britain that it, the heart side of it needs to be, uh, greatly developed and encouraged. Because, uh, so much of it has been Based on uh, on the intellect and on on uh, conventional forms, fitting in, obeying rules, surrendering to 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 discipline, uh, meditation techniques, um, reading of scriptures, this kind of thing. Which is certainly has its value and importance, but if it, if the heart doesn't open with all the with all the head trips and study and academic uh, studies of the scripture and and the obedience to the rules and and surrendering to the forms and all of this, it can be it can be uh, still another exercise in in despair. And some of you must feel a sense of despair uh, in this life because uh, because of that, because the, your approach has been very much from the brain or from from ideas, from uh, just willpower to you know, kind of you know going to to uh, just fit in and do it and 
go along with it, go along for the ride. <clears throat> so when we get in touch with the heart chakra, to be able to do that, we have to to really look at at our passions that come out of our uh, out of our hearts and guts, fears and and the uh, desires and anger and rage and resentment, bitterness and and uh, lust and all these passions, rather than just uh, you know trying to to suppress them or deny them or get rid of them or ignore them. It's only when we actually understand these passions, let these passions really value the fact that that you have passions, but not not interpreting on a personal level anymore, but, but really uh, letting your strong feelings like anger and rage and resentments and jealousies and fears, really, really uh, accepting those experiences in, in consciousness. Bearing with them, abiding with them. Because otherwise this life can be just, uh, I shouldn't feel like that, just guilt-ridden kind of another guilt trip uh, comes from, from, from the idealism of monastic life. And it's really, really, uh, really awful sometimes the way I hear people talking about what good nuns should be and good monks should be. And it's also prissy. No spirit. It's just. It's just. It's just like uh, sentimentalized cardboard cutouts. But in the passions, then there is this energy, and that energy needs to be acknowledged and used properly, not just rejected. They like sexual uh, energies in a celibate community. Now that's quite can be quite frightening because sexual energy is quite strong and it's also quite frightening when you uh, in a in a situation that we're in that uh, what do you do with it powerful sexual feelings that that one can have so it can be suppressed and in kind of just uh, pushed away and, and even feared and rejected. And you see a lot of, of uh, you know, that's, that's what, we, we, what we're kind of programmed to do anyway, aren't we? Either indulging in it or suppressing it is how we usually deal with it, as lay people deal with it. Either they indulge in it they follow it, or they act on it, or they just suppress it, or frightened by it, hate it, feel threatened by it. But we must see that in the holy life, the Buddha forbade castration. 
You can't be ordained as a bhikkhu if you've been castrated. I used to think it'd be much easier if, if to be castrated. And I think life would be easier if, uh, if, you, if you could be castrated when you're kind of ordained. But obviously, that's that's not the that is not uh, a conducive to the holy life. It's castration. So, brahmacharya or the celibacy is not is not meant to be a castration. It's not meant to be uh, just a, a rejection of sexuality and and uh, trying to like the burying your head in the sand, pretending that, and trying to just run away, ignore, reject the very powerful energies that, that we have just through being born in these kind of sexual forms. So obviously, good sense tells me that, that this energy is to be uh, developed and understood in the right way. And this is the, the holy life, is the spirit, the energy. And we, even if we call it sexual energy, that's not quite right. It's energy. It might manifest in, as a, in sexual kind of uh, qualities. But this is where, with mindfulness and with our uh, practice of Dhamma, this energy is, is the energy we use to 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 breathe the spirit into the form. It's the creative energy. And we, 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 we're not just using it as a procreative function of, of, uh, of biological function or instinctual function anymore in the holy life. It is, it is the spirit, our very spirit, aspiration, that which, which is life-giving and radiant. So if you're becoming a kind of, kind of pale, pallid, uh, repressed monk or nun, and you kind of turn gray after a while, if you're suppressing sexual energy, you, know, you kind of, you turn a kind of gray color. You look like some kind of, kind of wisp, a kind of creepy thing that hangs around. Hatred and anger and rage, these are powerful energies, isn't it? To really hate and be angry and feel rage. And yet the, the form is, uh, you know, we, we are we're not, we're not to, uh, to indulge in these passions. But that energy is is to be uh, appreciated. I feel you know, the sense of anger and rage that I can get into. I mean, Leos are are great at it. Get enraged. But that's energy, isn't it? And that's even though sometimes it goes out in the wrong direction, it's also to be appreciated and to be understood and. And through patient 
endurance and understanding and reflection and right practice, then that that very rage and anger is transmuted. It becomes ra- our radiance, our spirit. You don't kill yourself. You don't you don't make yourself dull and uh, and just deny. Some some of you, I think, kill your spirit. You just you just are so frightened and so so uh, so used to just holding everything down, and you're afraid of your own passions and energies. You're out of touch with it. So this life can be just a a blind conformity, a kind of meaningless. Uh, kind of uh, institutionalizing. And that's oftentimes what, what the criticisms of monastic life are. It does look like and can be a kind of deadening experience of just kind of weak people who are so frightened of life they they kind of group together in monasteries and uh, and never come to term, never really look, never really uh, uh, develop the spirit. They just talk about it, go through the motions. None of those passions, I say, on the lust, sexual desire, karma dhanha, desire for uh, all the sense pleasures. Don't be frightened of that. Nothing. Nothing to to. Uh, we can we can feel so guilty about about liking food or wanting uh, wanting to eat our meal. I've seen that. Some monks, I've known, when they look into their alms bowl, they feel hungry, and then they feel I'm greedy. They equate hunger with greed. And so that everything is interpreted in this very, is I'm greedy. I shouldn't be greedy. So they try to starve themselves, or try to, try to, uh, kind of make themselves not hungry, or to suppress hunger, thinking that they're 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 coming to terms. They're fighting greed. But that's not wisdom, is it? The body gets hungry. It's a it's a physical thing. The human body needs food. It needs to be fed. It needs nourishing, nourishment. That's its kindness to it. You feed it and you, you give it what it needs or to give it its energy so it can survive. It's not greed. <coughs> so I, uh, some of you are always fasting or hardly eating anything and I just... I don't like that. You should eat what what is right for your body to feed it properly, and not just go around experimenting and playing around and with food, because it's coming from the wrong place. Not not uh, not because you you're you're not fasting or denying yourself food because of of any good reason. It's usually out of some foolish ideas you have.
those that really should fast because they're too fat don't. And those that are a whole kind of uptight and, and uh, shouldn't fast because they need to, they need to, to eat and they love to fast. self-denial and all these it's not the way of the holy life to just to just deny suppress but no what I'm emphasizing is is a really need is really to to challenge this life to to really look at it to develop it to to enjoy it to bring joy into this form it's not meant to be a kind of uh, uh, an asceticism not meant to feed your kind of fears and and uh, attitudes of just dismissing suppressing and uh, rejecting life so sexual desire energies and hunger and and uh, rage and anger and hatred these these are very energizing states and that energy is not to be despised or to be suppressed with anger and rage it's uh, something that, that I I certainly felt but it's, uh, it's it's something I appreciate sexual desire sexual energy something to to value not to fear but it's to transmute it, to bring it to, to let it be your spirit towards uh, realization of truth. One needs it. Otherwise, if you don't use it, if you just suppress it, you become one of these kind of pallid monks or nuns that, that just it looks like wiped out, and spiritless, dead. It's just like a dead thing, a kind of getting by uh, as a physical form that breathes, and that's about it.